Ride or Die listeners, welcome, welcome to our Romance Month on Ride or Die. This month we are interviewing romance authors exclusively. Today we have the wonderful Alyssa Cole. She is an award-winning romance writer. Some of her books include A Princess in Theory, A Duke by Default, Once Ghosted, Twice Shy. I love all your covers so much, Alyssa. How are you? Thank you. Hi. <laughs> thank you guys for having me. Of course. Oh, we're so happy you're here. We're so excited to have you. Um, so yeah, let's awesome. just jump right into your journey. Tell us how you started writing. Why did you decide to become a romance author and oh your dog wants to answer <laughs> I, was like, which um, is that? I was trying to guess it because I'm the only dogless person I have three dogs and yeah it's like they'll be quiet completely quiet and then as soon as I need to record something they're like oh they want to participate it's fine my dog Pancho <laughs> usually makes an appearance as well he's been He's at the vet right now, so he's not going to bark today. Oh, he's he, baby. he's fine. He he's just oh. been having some weird mouth. You know, he has like gum disease. I'm sure our listeners want to know all about it. Um, <laughs> but that's what they're here for. Yeah, this but the he's, content they ask he, he's for. one of those really small dogs who like loses his teeth. Like it's like part of their breed is like that. So he's just getting his teeth checked right now, um, which is hilarious because I don't even get my teeth checked and he does. So. <laughs> You know, you know. Um, okay, so Alyssa, <laughs> let's get back at hand. Away from dogs. We're talking about back to Alyssa books. books. Yeah, <laughs> so books. my writing journey, um, I mean, I have like the long story, which is the story my mom tells, which is that even when I was two, I had like my little journal and I needed to write before you know, write, I draw pictures and t- write my stories down before I went to bed every night. Um, I don't know if this is a real story <laughs> just because I'm really bad at being like doing writing every day. So I maybe two year old me was much better at that than, than I than day me. Um, but yeah, I always loved writing. I was always writing stories. Um, when I was younger, I actually wanted to be a comic book artist and writer. I mean, I wanted to be a lot of things, like a paleontologist, too. But um, I, I thought I would grow up and be, like, a writer of some kind or a, pale, or a, a comic book artist or something. Um, but And so I would write for school and, you know, write for myself. Um, I did creative writing in college. Um, and then, you know, I got a job and kind of was just always like, one day I'll write a book and then... I realized that, you know, you can keep saying one day, you can keep saying one day. And I was kind of like putting it on a pedestal instead of um, just doing it. And part of that was, you know, reading romances written by um, other black romance authors. Um, This was like, you know, in the early Amazon days. Um, So, you know, I started reading like Cerecia Glass and Crystal Hubbard and, uh, you know, I read Sandra Kitt when I was growing up. Um, And so I was starting to discover more people and also um, Literotica. I don't even know if that site is still going on, but there is a website called Literotica, which is um, basically, I guess, you know, equivalent to like Wattpad or um, AO3, but not just fan fiction. Um, and I started reading that because they had actual romance stories that featured uh, characters of color, you know, if you found the right section. Mm. And I was like, oh, you know, these people are writing every, you know, putting a lot of time and effort into their writing and, um, you know, they're posting every week. And I was like, maybe I'll try to do that. So I started writing, you know, chapters of a story and I wrote a couple of shorts for like contest and stuff that did okay in the contest, Um, but also I was still, you know, bad at putting things up every week. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I would, like, you know, a little bit later, I had decided to do NaNoWriMo, and at at my first NaNoWriMo, I met someone who was a member of the Art Romance Writers of America New York City chapter, Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was like, oh, okay, and it was, like, kind of a bunch of things at once. I had discovered the blog Smart Bitches Trashy Books, so I was realizing that there were other people um, because none of my friends really talked about reading romance. Um, They didn't hate it or anything, but they just didn't talk about it. Eventually I found out one of my friends actually was a huge romance reader. (laughs) And like, you know, then we started like trading, she started, she gave me my first 
Judith McNaught book. And um, so, you know, it was a bunch of things around the same time coming together. Then when I joined Romance Writers of America, uh, when I joined the New York City chapter, I started going to the monthly meeting, meeting other romance authors. Um, I met friend, one of the people I met there became my friend and invited me to join her critique group because one of their members had um, just left. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having a critique group really helped me to start being able to write um, more more uh, frequently because we would have our meetings every two weeks or once a month. And I didn't want to be the person who showed up without anything. <laughs> right. Um, I'm very motivated by that kind of thing, by like not wanting to disappoint. (laughs) So I was like, this is perfect. Relatable, relatable. (laughs) So, you know, then I started really putting in time to work on the stuff. um, And I I took the story. I had had three chapters of a story on Literatica and that first NaNoWriMo. I used that to finish that novel um, and that became my first novel that got published by Lucid which was a digital publisher that closed this past May I think um, they were you know around with Alora's Cave and Sam Hain and stuff like that kind of changing the romance scene when they first came out mm-hmm. um, and then um, I what the next thing I worked on I think was Radio Silence maybe Um, so basically from like 2011 through 2014 I was like just started writing I honestly get kind of confused because I started working on several different projects Um, I was working on Radio Silence which was my post-apocalyptic more dystopian type sci-fi series that got picked up by Karina um and I also decided I wanted to write historical. So I figured people were not going to be like publishing historicals with, you know, non-white people. So mm-hmm. <laughs> one of the first at that time period, one of the first historical projects I did was with um, a few other authors. Uh, we decided to do an anthology. It was called For Love and Liberty, um, okay. and it was basically untold stories of the American Revolution. So stories about, you know, not all white and not all straight people from that were set during the American Revolution. And then after that, for a few years, I was putting out anthologies featuring um, black women primarily, but, you know, all different kinds of characters. Um, and also during that time period, I think it was like, yeah, 2013. So I skipped NaNoWriMo the next year. Then the next year I had an idea that I thought, um, I should write as quickly as possible because probably no one was going to buy it (laughs) because it was a civil war, a civil war espionage historical with, um, a black heroine and a white hero. Um, and the story just got in my head and I really needed to get it out. So I wrote it for National Novel Writing Month for 2013. And then that turned into an extraordinary union, which was um, published in 2017, even though that feels like 20 years ago now at this point. Wow. That, was, that was last year. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was my first, like, you know, traditionally published print book and, you know, one of my most successful books uh it was the thing that kind of got started got people's attention yeah um and it started out as something that I was like completely unsure that anyone would want and you know some people straight up said we no one wants to read a civil war romance um they didn't say it in a mean way just like in a kind of like that's just the way things are so um so yeah so basically there was just like a time period where I was just like And I guess that time period is still happening where I was just like getting all of these ideas and um, just really trying to write as much as I could. When I first started submitting, I was getting rejected. (laughs) Uh, And I, I, you know, I tried not to to let it get me down. Um, First, I was submitting through, you know, the general slush pile. So the first novel was called Eagle's Heart. Um, it was like a Brooklyn school teacher who gets mixed up with the Albanian mafia 
and like an Albanian FBI agent. Sorry, but like your plots sound so cool. <laughs> like, like, so, like so layered. Like you start with like one thing, and it's like it's like okay, and then you're like, and then the mafia, and I'm like, what? <laughs> Sign me up. Thank you. Um, no, I, I really like that because I remember I. I was a huge romance fan when I was younger and I like, and people would make fun of me and it was really hard for me to explain that like romance is so like nuanced and like diverse in and of itself. Like Regency romance is different than like modern day romance and like romance mystery. And I just like lived in my own bubble and I'm so happy to be like being able to talk to you because I'm like, yes, like 13 year old me is so happy right now. Oh, yeah, it's romance. Cat. People will, are always happy to talk about romance. And um, actually, my mom is a huge romance reader. Like, I wasn't one of those people who, like, I was always, I loved love stories, but I never was particular, like, I wasn't like romance as a genre. Because, um, you know, I liked sci fi and I would read in heart, like Stephen King, um, but I would always take basically whatever books were in my parents' bookshelf when I was a kid. Um, and when I went to the library, I would take things out. But like, so one of the reasons I really got into romance was um, my mother had these Jennifer Cruzy novels. I don't know if you've ever read Jennifer Cruzy. Mm-mm, I have. Um, she wrote contemporary romance um, that, and like, they were just so good. I was obsessed with them. Um, so I was reading that and, you know, her other books. Um, she, like, you know, is a huge, uh, my mom is a huge Outlander and, like, Scottish Highlander fan. <laughs> but she has passed on her love of Scottish romance heroes to me. It's um, amazing. And, I love that. And, you know, she reads all of my books. We don't really discuss them. you know she tells me she enjoys them um her the only thing she's ever you know besides saying that she was proud of me the other the only thing she really says is like uh don't use the word smirk because I don't like reading that word (laughs) oh my goodness like mom sometimes I sometimes people are smirking you have to use it that's such a specific critique (laughs) just this one word (laughs) I feel like there was a period where it was getting used pretty heavily in a lot of romances and yeah. she basically had just seen it enough. She was fed up. She was like, that's it. I've had it with the word smirk and you're going to, you're going to cut it out of your books. I can't control the other authors, but you're my daughter. Exactly. <laughs> um, so at what point during this um, harrowing journey of publishing like 700 books, it sounds like, did you get your agent and how did that whole thing uh, come about? Eagle's Heart had been published by Lucid. Um, I had a short, like a very short story out with the Wild Rose Press, which is like still on Amazon and I'm so scared to even look at. <laughs> it's like, um, but... I had that. Then I had written um, Radio Silence, which was the first in the Off the Grid series. And I was trying to, you know, get agents with that. And no one was biting. And there was one agent that I really liked. Um, So I have had two agents at this point. Um, And um, right now I'm going to talk about my first agent, Courtney Miller Callahan, who we're still friends and cool. Like it wasn't like a a falling out situation or anything like that. and, you know, still obviously working together on some things. Uh, but, you know, I, I followed her on Twitter and I just felt like she was like really funny and um, kind of had a similar sense of humor and similar taste. And I kind of just, I don't know, had a good feeling about her. Um, I submitted to a bunch of people and got rejected by a bunch of people. And the first time I, con- I submitted to her, I got rejected by her. Oh, wow. And this is what... And this is something, um, this is why I think it's something that can be hard to understand when you're at this phase. Like, you know, a lot of times you'll submit and people will reject you. And sometimes you'll submit something and they'll say, they'll reject you. And they'll say, well, send me another project in the future. Um, And I think sometimes people don't do that. They just think that people are saying that to them because they're trying to be nice, which, you know, sometimes they are. Mm -hmm. But um, my first agent, 
my first trad pub editor and my second trad pub editor are all people who rejected previous projects from me and said, send me something. When you write something else, send me something else. Um, so, you know, this is like a little tangent, but some, you know, rejection sucks. And, you know, sometimes you feel like if someone rejects one project from you, then that means they never want to work with you at all. But in my experience, uh, the second time has often been the charm <laughs> when, or sometimes even the third time. Um, and then, you know, they find the project that they like from you or they feel they like how your writing has grown. Um, so I would say that, like, you know, if you have submitted to people, you know, you don't want to bother people and harass them. But at the same time, if you then have an, a different project and um, it doesn't hurt to submit again, especially if they have said like, oh, well, this isn't going to work for me. If, or, this is a re this is a no, but you can send me another project in the future or something. Yeah. Sometimes that's just lip service, but sometimes I think often they really mean it. Um, and, event, you know, sometimes it works out. So, um with Off the Grid, that series got picked up by an editor. It was actually uh, a Twitter pitch session uh, for Karina Press, where, you know, you kind of write the blurb and, like, make a little Twitter blurb. And then um, if an editor likes yeah. it, they ask you to submit it. Yeah, like a pitch so, contest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was how um, Radio Silence got picked up. I didn't have an agent at that time. Um, and so I was working with Karina Press, um, with my editor, Rhonda Merwath. Um, and after that, then that was when I wrote An Extraordinary Union. Um, and then I sent that to the agent, um, court, to a few agents, but once again, to the agent that I wanted to work with, Courtney Miller Callahan. Mm -hmm. And that time she, she wanted it. <laughs> like we started working together um, and you know I had a couple of people who were interested in it one agent I didn't work with because um, she had some weird thing where she said uh, I noticed like I, I was about to sign and this is another thing always make sure that you really talk to the agent you're going to sign with and make sure you know what's what with them like mm -hmm. go over their website because she seemed cool and we talked and things were fine. And I was like, something, I was like, there was something nagging my brain. I was like, did I see something weird on her website? Uh -oh. And there was something and it was like, um, no LGBTQ. Oh, no. Mm. Oh, God. And I was like, well, number, I was so like, I called her and I was like, like, am I misreading <laughs> somehow? Uh, and like, it, it was a, it was a weird thing. And it was, just, and I was like, so you're, and I was like, i write LGBTQ, LGBTQ books too. So I'm saying, I was like, if I had a series, would you not represent the one book in the series? That yeah. did it. Like, I was just like really trying to wrap my mind around it. And she was like, yeah, you would have to find other representation for that. Oh and I was just like, um, God. okay. So yeah, obviously I didn't go with her. And like, that's another thing. Like, I feel like a lot of times there's this pressure that you know, if someone takes is going to take you, that you just mm -hmm. need it. like you need to sign with yeah, them, and you like, don't. Mm -hmm. but you really don't because like the thing that I feel like I didn't quite understand, and I got very lucky, is that your relationship with your agent is a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> it's like in a way, kind of like I don't want to say intimate, like that kind of intimate, but you're giving this person your dreams. And you have to trust them to do the right thing with it. You have to trust them to guide you. Um, like, you can't just give that to the first person who says yes, because that might not be the, the best person for you. And, you know, we've all heard, like, bad agent stories. Mm -hmm. But, I like, sometimes that happens just because we're, as we as writers are kind of, you know, there's this pressure on us to find an agent. And if you don't have an agent, you can't sell anything and blah, blah, blah. blah. Uh, so then you can kind of overlook things that happen because like I'll tell you when that agent was the only agent who had ever you know said they wanted to sign me mm -hmm. like I had it was a very short moment but I was like is it that bad and then I was like what <laughs> of course it's that bad like I can't sign with this person and then hope that like everything is wrong and I'm just misjudging them um so yeah I think that's something that sometimes you encounter 
you know, it's not always that dramatic. <laughs> Sometimes it's just like they're not the right person for yeah. you. Um, yeah. Or they want to do things with your book that you don't want to do. Like another person who was interested, but they were like, yeah, but like we need to make the hero more alpha. And I was like, that's not going to work for this book where mm-hmm. like there it's a set during, you know, slavery was still legal yeah. <laughs> in the South. Uh, yeah. He's white, she's black. Like he doesn't need to be pulling any alpha moves. In yeah, situation. That's, right. That's so tricky already. You don't want it to be even trickier to write. And yeah. So that was the thing, too, where it was like, well, I don't know if you really understand what's going on here, if that's your, like, main suggestion for the book. Yeah, Um, So these are the things that I think are important to think about, like how you click with an agent. For sure. And I want to just go back to um, one of the things that you said, which was that, um, you know, if if an agent does say in their uh, response to you to send them your next um, manuscript, I've had so many people be like, but that's just something they say, right? Like, they don't really mean it. And I'm like, no, they, they actually do mean it. Like, I really they, don't think they would say it because yeah. they have such, so, that, they like, don't. They're, that their time is so precious that I don't think they would bother to lie. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Something they don't. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I've heard from several agents that they actually will not say that unless they mean it because authors will, listen, authors will take an agent following them as an indication of something that's yeah. happening when it's not. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, I think for most, for a lot of us, we're like reluctant to think something good is happening, but for a lot of authors, you get your hopes up about any little thing. So they have yeah. to be very careful with what they say. Um, yeah. So, you know, if you're listening and an agent said that to you, it's not bullshit. They actually do want to see your next thing. And you can curse on this podcast, Alyssa. I forgot to tell you, but you can. Yeah. Right. Let her rip. have to make, up for all the not cursing you did we can do (laughs) post-production and just add curses in after to all the places that you wanted to (laughs) well like just dub over it'll be totally natural no i i want to agree with both of you guys because like i um talked about this before but i um when i interned for an agent i was in charge of their slush pile like it like we sent a lot of form emails and at first I was like, I feel weird because I know how much the authors care and shouldn't we like put more time and effort and make them feel better. And she was like, don't say anything that we don't mean because people will like take it a certain way and you don't know and you don't want to like um, give them like false impressions of like what our intentions are because that's a big deal for agents too. So yeah. when we said, please send us things in the future, we literally meant it. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, definitely from the other side. I can I can verify. <laughs> yes. And definitely yes also. Alyssa's full of wisdom because you do need to check everything about your agents because mm-hmm. it is hard especially for people of color, you don't want to work with somebody who's like a secret racist and who's going to try to make you add things to your book. Look at their Twitter timeline. See what they're retweeting. See what they're liking. (laughs) Yes. And ask around. Ask your friends if they know someone who knows something. And you don't have to take every single piece of like thing that you hear to heart. But if you keep hearing the same pattern from a lot of different people it's just better to be safe than sorry because yeah it is a business relationship and you're gonna have to deal with them for a lot of different things and you don't want to compromise your like your dignity um yeah and your your morals and your integrity to work with somebody who is who's shitty so (laughs) yeah and I would say um and like you know people often speak to to people who are currently clients mm-hmm. of the agent. Um, but like you said, definitely ask around um, widely and like friends of friends of friends. Yes. <laughs> like any, anyone who knows anything. Um, because, you know, the other thing um, is that there are some people who like leave their agent or have a bad break with their agent and then just never mention the agent again because like, Again, this is business. They're not going to like go and be like this person was like gaslighting me and terrible, right? <laughs> right. Because agents still have uh, some degree of power. 
and I know I just said that I am, you know, still friends with my agent. That's not a lie. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify that. But, um, you know, you know, I have seen people who just never mentioned it or people who I, you know, who I wasn't even I didn't know very well and who would just start telling me about their agent. And I'm just and this is why I kind of say it's like a relationship. They would just start telling me things their relation, their agent did. And I'd be like, no, honey, <laughs> like, you deserve better than this. Like, um, so it really and it really can affect uh, it's. A relationship to you that really can affect a writer's confidence um like there are so many aspects that you know so many things you don't think about before because at the beginning you're just so focused on getting an agent um because it's like what you're told you need to do mm-hmm. uh, and like you know one of the great things about um my first agent and my current agent who's at Lucian Diver is that both of them really believed in me like and that's something that you can really sense yeah (laughs) Um, that can't really be faked and like you know not every relationship is going to be you know people have people are all different some people want a super close friendly relationship with their agent some people want it to be strictly business and numbers um so those are things you need to think about too like what kind of relationship you would like um when you're considering what agent, what kind of agent to get. Do you need someone who's supportive? Do you need someone who's going to be like, what are you doing? Um, or and like, you know, corral you or herd you in the right direction. Um, different people need different things. So kind of as you're looking at agents and checking, seeing how they are, kind of think about how they would interact, how their personality as you perceive it would uh, mesh with your own, because like you will be working with them a lot. Excellent advice. It's very true. For example, if I couldn't send memes and gifts to my agent, (laughs) I would feel really sad. So, So thankfully... Uh, my agent's okay with me doing those things because I I would be like physically holding myself back because it's who I am and how I communicate. So, um, absolutely. I mean, memes and gifts are not that important, but they're important to me. They are important. They're important to me. They are. No, I agree. If I I will. Every time I get an email from my editor, I'll immediately message my agent to be like, we must discuss all of the hidden messages in this email. (laughs) And she's like, there's no hidden messages. And I'm like, okay, valid. Thank you for talking me down. Like, that's literally all I need, but she needs to do it. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, So, like, I, I, okay, I think I'm getting better at it now, but... When I first wrote, like, any sort of romance scenes in my book, I would be, like, internally cringing. Um, So, Alyssa, give us some tips for people who are trying to write, you know, even if it's just, like, kissing or how do you make those scenes resonate with your readers? Like, do you have any, like, tools that you use, any sort of, you know, secret tips that will make people's scenes sparkle and shine or just any kind of music that you listen to while you write, just any tips that you have for people out there trying to write better romance scenes. What can you tell them? Okay. So better romance scenes. Um, So I, there are a lot of people who don't like writing sex scenes, um, even amongst romance authors. Mm -hmm. Um, But I actually love writing sex scenes. I don't like editing them (laughs) because then I have to read all of the things that I wrote. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and that's when I'm like blushing and like, who wrote this? Um, but, so I think for me, the reason that I enjoy writing them is because for me, um, any sex scene, but particularly the first scene or the, uh, the first scene where the protagonists come together is kind of an emotional a high point in the story mm-hmm. and basically it's like breaking like so ideally as I've been writing I've been building this tension slowly um and for me like when I get to that point I'm just like all right and for the reader too hopefully I'm like you guys really need to just do it now <laughs> that's me that's me on page one <laughs> so it's like um 
you know, it's like there's the the sexual aspect of it, but um, I think if you have been building and you know, there's a chemistry and sexual chemistry that has been building, you know, no matter where the, the scene falls in the book, but um, also it should be an, it should be a physical release, but also an emotional release for the Mm -hmm. characters. Um, And I think sometimes like that can get, and I think it's just the way, because the way our society is, it makes people feel really weird about both emotion and sex. And Mm -hmm. then sometimes they can be disconnected when people are writing it. Yeah. And also, too, like, you're going to have to, like, refine that scene so many times and, like, punch it up. So I would yeah. say first just get it out there. And sometimes you're writing, you're just like, oh, my God, even though I enjoy writing them, it's like, okay, all right, can we get to finish already? <laughs> um, so, Amazing. Then, uh, then you go through and you read it. And um, and I know, again, people, this can be weird, but read it out loud um, after you've edited it a few times, um, read it out loud. And I mean, you know, I think reading out the entire the entire book out loud or having um, something read it out loud to you, uh, if your computer or your device can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can kind of see how it flows, um, see if there's something that's strange. Um, and I think the thing, too, is like, so when you are writing... A kissing, and I honestly I enjoy writing sex scenes more than kissing scenes because I really okay. hate the word tongue. And like, I'm, always, <laughs> I'm always like, oh, what is this tongue doing? Like, what can I write? That's your tongue? word. Like how yeah. your mom has smirk. 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 Mom has smirk, and you have tongue. <laughs> uh, so I'm just like, okay, like how can I make this like gross thing sexy? Um, but. So for the sex scenes I and and for kissing scenes too I try to focus on like not just basic, like not just the act itself of what's going on but um how the characters are touching each other um in ways that are not necessarily sexual um are they like touching each other's cheeks uh are they you know running a hand through the other character's hair where is their hand is it resting on someone's waist or um so, you know, that's choreography, but also says things about the characters, too, and, like, what, how, you've ha- how you've built them up as characters and their personality. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, um, you know, what are they thinking? Uh, what are they feeling? Um, and, like, thinking, you know, <laughs> I feel like these are the things, but, like, basically you have been, like, building up this character with their personality, their quirks, the things that are important to them, the things that scare them. And, like, when they're in these sex scenes, you know, this should be scary for them <laughs> a little bit, too, because it's, like, a very vulnerable moment. Um, so thinking about how amazing it is, but also, like, how it's scary for them, um, it's not just about, like, the good feel, And, like, they don't have to feel bad while it's happening. But, you know, um, I went to a talk by uh, Emily Nagoski. She wrote the book Come As You Are, mm-hmm. um, and she also writes romance as... I think Emily Foster, um, but she had she was saying something that um, I do in my sex scenes, but like I hadn't really thought about it. Is that sometimes people forget that when you are kissing or when you're you know having foreplay or whatever that you're thinking about things, and sometimes it's something completely unrelated. I mean, in a <laughs> in a story, it hopefully would be somewhat related. Groceries, like, you know, or... <laughs> yeah, depending on the character, you know, they could be like. Okay, what do I do now? Am I like, does this person like that? Like, do I like, like, so, you know, depending on the character, you can use their internal monologue to, um, even if they are thinking about the act itself or what's going on, um, to kind of show their emotional response to the situation. Um, And everything doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to, um, you know, in some in some romances I've read, like, the first sex scene is terrible because sometimes in real life, sex is terrible. And um, then the characters, like, get to know each other better and figure out uh, what's, you know, how to make it not terrible. Um, and in Extraordinary Union, they basically stop in the middle of their first sex scene because, like, he can feel that she is mentally pulling away from him. 
and then you know uh, this was a, the Civil War historical. Yeah. Um, and for me, it just didn't feel realistic that she wouldn't be having any kinds of uh, thoughts and fears about what they were doing and how right. that would affect her future. Yeah. So they basically stop, have a little, you know, chat <laughs> mid-scene. <laughs> um, but, you know, obviously, <laughs> obviously I, <laughs> I tried to, like, you know, make it uh, or flow organically. And then as they kind of reaffirm that they're both in this together um, and she feels safer again, then they continue and, you know, uh, continue on their way. So, yeah. so like there, I think um, when it gets down to it, it's just emotion and not focusing on just the mechanics of the scene, mm-hmm. um, focusing on how it's, because the main function um, in a romance novel is not just like titillation, but to make the reader feel something emotionally and it's like a release for the characters, but also the readers who are like rooting for these people to fall in love and get together. Um, and also, you know, not all romance novels have sex scenes. Um, some have closed door scenes or if the characters are asexual, there are no sex scenes at all. But there are just different ways of um, showing how people come together and like building up a kind of tension for the reader of um, bringing people together emotionally, which is the function of the sex scene, for me, at least. <laughs> I just took a lot of notes for myself, <laughs> like for me. I was like, this is all amazing. I love, I love the description of like you, of like oh, the, the woman in that, in that scene sort of being emotionally somewhere else, like her thoughts being somewhere else. I feel like that's something that, only a woman would kind of know <laughs> what that's like and it's such a relatable thing for you to to write into a scene like that because yeah if if there are all these other things surrounding their relationship or whatever's going on with them of course she's going to be like afraid or worried and that's going to affect um their intimate moments so i just really love that so much um it's very smart and it's realistic um yeah, I like how detailed you were with all of it. And actually, in some moments, I love it because it kind of demystified the thing that, like you were saying, like we don't like talking about sexuality and emotions sometimes in our society. But the way you broke it down kind of demystified it to show that a lot of things are a craft. Like it's, you can tie it into craft. Like if you, yeah. like you have to have good character development and good yeah. and like an actual character arc. Like again, using that same example, like Claire will use like that woman, like she felt that way because of who her character was already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it makes total sense. And I love how you put it. Yeah. So yeah, it's like just building up, uh, building up layers and kind of, um, you know, making sure that it like it fits in with the rest of the story and isn't just like sex break. Yeah. <laughs> now let's get back to the story. Uh, and I do think, like, I think I think people get discouraged, but the thing is, because like, yeah, then when you're editing it and you're like, oh my god, like, yeah. where did this come from? How is this here? Uh, you have to keep editing it and like refining it. Um, like any other, I mean, people have different writing techniques. For me, like, I generally have to, go, like, edit in layers and layers and layers uh, to get the, the final effect. And then you read it and you're like, something's missing. You know, there's, like, something not connecting between them right here or this is, like, awkward. Um, so it can take a while to get the sex scene right just because it's, they're, like, generally naked and it's, a, like, a, an yeah. intimate, vulnerable moment. And, like, you don't want to write something that ends up being, like, funny. Oh, that's the other thing. Humor. Um, like, you know, I, I like in my sex scenes having some moments of humor. So it's not just, um, like, you know, I still want them to be hot sex scenes. But also, <laughs> uh, I think, you know, if these people really like each other, they can, like, take a second to laugh about something or, like, have something weird happen. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah. it's also kind of um, a relief for the reader, too. Uh, like, just how the sex is breaking the tension. But, like, you know, everyone isn't always down for reading, like, 10 pages of, like, 
heavy sex scene. So having, again, you know, having emotion, the emo- and it depends on the characters, of course, but having emotion um, and humor to kind of like break it up a bit um, in addition to everything else going on. Yeah, that's so smart. See, I, I would be, I would never think to put something humorous only because I, I'm just like terrified of everything happening within a sex scene already. So I'm like, I can't, I can't do something extra. <laughs> this is too much for me. Um, oh gosh. But it's, but it is such good advice. Um, that's amazing. Um, so, okay. So this uh, episode, we're recording it in, what month is it? It's December. It's I don't December. I know. It's 2018. <laughs> 2018 has been 10 years long. Um, so long. It really has. Um, but this episode's going to um, air in February. So, but you, Alyssa, actually have one um, release coming out every month from January to April, correct? Yes. Okay, so we're going to play a little game where Alyssa is going to try to give us a blurb of each of her releases as well as an anthology that she has coming out um, that she's a part of. And we're going to time it and we're going to see how quick she can do it. So are you ready, Alyssa? Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready to go. Okay. And start. Okay, so in December... I have a short science fiction erotica, erotic romance story and best women erotica of the year, volume four. This is a story about a scientist and the android she has created, and then they get it on at the end. But it's also (laughs) emotional. Amazing. (laughs) Um, In January, I have a novella for the Reluctant Royal series. Um, this features the assistant to the prince in the first book. Um, in the background of the first book, she had her heart broken. So this book is kind of like um, Casablanca meets before sunset. Uh, she's on a stalled train in Manhattan on the Manhattan Bridge, and in the next car is the woman who broke her heart. And then they end up spending the day together as she figures out uh, why the woman ghosted her. Wow. So in February, there is the third book in the Loyal League series, An Unconditional Freedom. The hero is Daniel, who uh, in an extraordinary union, he is saved off page um, because he was free. He was the heroine's best friend, who was born free and kidnapped into slavery. Um, in the second book, you learn that he has joined the Loyal League um, and he's, you know, not the same person that he was before. So this third book... Uh, he's a spy with the Loyal League, but he's super bitter, angry, um, hates everything, including himself. Uh, he has PTSD, basically, but, you know, they didn't have a word for PTSD back then. Right. Um, and he's, like, trying to exact vengeance on the Confederacy. He is paired with a new spy, a new agent, or, or new detective, rather, uh, Janetta Sanchez, who is biracial. Her mother was a slave. Her father was a plantation owner in Cuba, and they were married. Um, when her father is sent to jail, she thinks by the union, she believes it's her fault. Uh, and she is at, told that if she infiltrates the Loyal League and gives them information, she, her father will be freed. In March is Can't Escape Love, which is another Reluctant Royals novella. Um, it is the sister of the twin sister, uh, Reggie Hobbs. She's the twin sister of Portia and a Duke by default. She runs a geeky website called Girls with Glasses. Um, basically, she's starting the, you know, she's quit her full time job. She's doing this website full time. Um, and then she gets hit with insomnia. The only thing that helps her sleep is uh, the coincidentally very sexy voice of a guy she used to watch on live stream and talk to. She was his only viewer, um, and they kind of developed a friendship. He would solve puzzles uh, like Rubik's cubes and stuff like that, and math puzzles and all these different things. And she would like talk; they would talk about things. Uh, but he's taken down his archive, and she has her sister find his email address and wants to make a trade. Uh, you know, pay him to record something so she can listen to his voice in sleep. Uh, he is building an escape room about an anime <laughs> based on an anime for an anime convention, but um, it's a romance anime and he knows nothing about romance or anime. <laughs> um, so they decide to do a Iconic. trade. 
she's like a super anime. She's like the biggest fan of the show. So they decide to start, you know, they do a trade. And of course, along the way, fall in love. Yes, I love it. And then <laughs> April, uh, the third book in the Reluctant Royal series um, with Prince Johan, who is the tabloid prince of Lichtenberg. He's uh, he's been in the first two books. Um, you know, he's very he's a redheaded step prince, literally, because he's technically not a prince. Uh, his younger brother is the actual heir to the throne um Mm. since he's the stepchild um his their mom died years ago and uh he kind of stepped into this role as like a tabloid bad boy to keep the cameras away from his younger brother um and he has fallen for nia who um grew up very sheltered her father uh her mother died in childbirth and her father basically didn't let her do any like you know she went to school and stuff like that but she didn't really get to live a full life um there's a whole stuff her father's in jail because he tried to he did something bad in the first book in the series so basically they have a fake engagement uh they and fake uh, engagements (laughs) his his country is having a referendum um on whether or not to keep the monarchy and after people think that they're dating like their points go up uh that's just the premise but basically you know he's too scared to really fall in love and secretly he's not a bad i mean he like does things but uh, he's secretly like you know afraid of losing anyone um, so he doesn't want to fall in love and of course he's already in love with her at the beginning of the book so it's them like coming together and helping each other overcome their fears and their past and all of that good stuff I I'm gonna buy all of these and I <laughs> I, I, I lost uh, track of time because I got thrown off by the Jefferson Davis a uh, plot and I was like whoa um do you know that one gif of Titus where he's just like shocked that was me uh that's my favorite expression to do by myself when something shocks me um I wish everyone knew how often I did it all right so Alyssa already told me that she's gonna do her um her thing that she wished she'd known before. She was like, I'm not doing most embarrassing moments. I, I actually can do my most embarrassing thing. Oh, okay. Because I remembered it as I, oh, as yeah. I was um, That's my favorite. Y- y- you can do both. <laughs> you can do both. Um, I love when people do both. You know, just saying, future guests, it's my favorite. Um, but it's really up to you, whichever one you want to do. Okay, I'll start with most embarrassing, and then I'll go to... Um, what I wish I knew. Perfect. Uh, so most embarrassing. So my the first RWA I went to because I was living in New York and RWA. I think it was, I forget what year it was now because um, my brain doesn't work. But um, it was before I was published and before I was like really even writing um, or like you know had things ready to to submit. Uh, and I went. I didn't know anyone. Um, and they have a literacy day signing, which is open to the public, um, where they have a lot of romance authors and people can come and buy books and everything you buy is uh, donated. The money goes to literacy, a literacy program. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, OK, well, I'll just go to that and I can like hang out in the bar and maybe I'll meet some fellow writers. <laughs> and so I went to the bar and. Uh, and I saw a group of women, I assume they, and, but I also was like extremely shy. So I was like, I'll just have a martini because of course that made sense at the moment for some reason. Uh, this was like, you know, 2000 and in New York city when like martinis were popular. Yeah. I'm, I'm, surprised, <laughs> I'm surprised it wasn't a Cosmo to be completely honest with you. I was like, Oh, this will make me look sophisticated and like, <laughs> cool um not the drink you want to have when you're like trying to socialize with strangers um but i so i I ordered a martini and the people the women i sat down next to these women but like the person next to me had her chair back facing me uh i didn't realize that until after i ordered so i'm like trying to get into this conversation like and i can't 
but then the guy next to me starts talking to me. It's like an older guy. And I'm like doing the thing where you're being too nice to tell this person to leave you alone. Mm. Um, but also trying to be disinterested um, and also drinking my martini really quickly. <laughs> uh, no. Eventually, one of the women came over and like pulled me into the group and we're like, yeah, we were ignoring that guy. And, you know, so I started talking to them and they were romance writers. Um, don't, I didn't become close friends with any of them, but, you know, we did talk about some things. And then we went down to the literacy signing after I had downed a martini. Oh, no. <laughs> so, like, I mean, I wasn't like wild or anything, but I was like seeing authors that I knew. And I'm like, oh, my God, I love your book. Like just walking by the table. <laughs> Uh, and you know, so one of my I'm friends with Courtney Milan, like I'm not name dropping, but like I had read her books and she was like the first person I saw when I walked in. I'm like, I love your books. And, uh, we became friends late, much later, but I'm like, do you remember me? Like a dr- like, drunken black woman, like just coming up to your table. Like, I love your books. And she was like, no, uh, because like after it happened, I was like, oh my God. Cause her face had, was just like, uh, thanks. Um, but Jennifer Cruzy was there, so then I went and met Jennifer Cruzy, who was, like, my hero at the moment, and completely just, like, gosh, went into extreme fangirl who has had a martini mode. <laughs> Amazing. Was it, and like, I, drunk girl in the bathroom mode? Like, one of those? Uh, I, I, I did cry, but, I mean, I cry <laughs> when I see people all the time, even when I'm sober. So, but I was just like, I love you so much, Baba. And uh, I actually have her autograph I mean she was super nice and um I have the autograph that she gave me that day uh framed amazing (laughs) I am not worthy (laughs) because I was like freaking out so much that she was like okay (laughs) (laughs) um I of course do think she was worthy and I would have freaked out even if I did not have that martini in my system um but the martini just yeah the martini just let out what you were feeling in your heart anyway (laughs) I think it was just like your truth serum in that moment but um the, the other comparable thing, I guess, is like uh, when I first met Beverly Jenkins, again, at a literacy signing, but I was like actually at the conference that time as an author. Uh, and I just, it was basically like when Troy and community, when Troy meets LeVar Burton, <laughs> like yeah. other people were talking to her and stuff. And I was just like staring at her and I was just like, uh, thank you for your books and I like ran away and then we were going to dinner uh, like me and a bunch of other authors and she ended up coming to dinner with us and I swear that the whole dinner I was just like I can't say anything <laughs> what if I say something stupid in front of Beverly Jenkins you needed a martini uh, <laughs> That's what it I was. Did not, I, didn't, I did not have a martini. That's why. Um, she, uh, even if I had said something weird, she is extremely one of the best people ever and would not have made fun of me. Aww. But so yeah, I basically just like stared at her <laughs> the whole dinner um, and barely ate. Um, but she didn't notice. So it was only embarrassing to me. Um, and now everyone yeah. knows because you said it on the podcast. <laughs> Maybe Beverly will listen. That would be really cool. Yeah, because Beverly Jenkins listens to our podcast. I'm gonna tag her and be like, Beverly, we talked about you. Um, like you gotta listen to this one. Listen, I don't want to get dragged by her. I have seen what it's like to get no. dragged by her, and no, she's she's amazing. Not um, me. She's like the nicest person ever. Um, but yeah, and the one thing I wish I knew. And I guess it seems kind of silly, but it's that everyone who works in publishing is a human. That's <laughs> not silly. That's not silly. That's actually really smart to think but about. But it's like, again, like, you know, whether it's an agent or an editor or um, it's a, a PR, like anyone who works in publishing in any capacity, I think writers can get really freaked out. Um, mm-hmm. They can feel like, uh, you know, like they can't speak to them or like they can't be normal around them um, because, you know, there's so much pressure to sell a book or find an agent. Um, so just be cool mm-hmm. <laughs> when you meet people. Um, they, uh, you know, when like uh, what I tell people 
you know, after years of seeing people going to pitch sessions at conferences, for example, and having spoken to people on both sides of the table, they're nervous too. Yeah. (laughs) You're putting your dreams in their hand and they might have to say no to you. So like, you know, just remember that someone doing their job, um, and, you know, just be cool, be normal, realize that every interaction you have with an editor and agent or agent might not lead up to anything. But mm-hmm. also, it's just nice to know people. Yeah. It's nice to, to they can give you information, even if you don't work with them, um, you can learn from them. Absolutely. Or you can just be friends with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but, you know, even just you know, if you are pitching or in a profession, in a, on a professional level, um, like when you're trying to get your first book or even after your first book, there can be this kind of like us and them divide. And there is, you know, yes, there's gatekeepers and stuff like that, but also, um, and they do have some level of power over all their careers, but also, you know, most of them are just normal, nice people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can just have a normal, nice conversation with them. <laughs> and that's like, you know, uh, yeah. So don't be too freaked out. Don't think that they're like, you know, waiting to squelch your dreams um, yeah. <laughs> or like, you know, that it's like, like you have to be deferential or anything like that. Right. Uh, just because I, I mean, I know I've, I've been there mm-hmm. like pitching and just being like, Oh my God, am I going to say and blah, blah, blah. And then like sometimes just you've talking because the other thing is that like, you can talk about your book a lot, but sometimes they want to know who you are. Yeah. Because again, these are relationships. You have to work with these people very closely. Um, so at a certain point, yes, if they like your book idea, that's great. But um, they also want to know who they're going to be working with. So it doesn't have to be all business or all, this is what my book is about, blah, blah, blah and then run away. <laughs> and then disappear. <laughs> because all you are is a book-making machine. Um, yeah, that's excellent advice. And it actually also really helps when once you sign with an agent because if you're putting your agent on a pedestal um you're yeah. you're not going to be able to talk to them candidly and like yeah. there are a lot of times where they have to sort of like intervene for you in, in uncomfortable situations and if you're not comfortable telling them that you are unhappy or you are uncomfortable and you're just like well I'm yeah. just happy to have an agent then you're yeah. just going to end up putting up with stuff or like messing up moments or um, opportunities in your career, um, you have to be able to tell them I'm anxious. I'm unhappy. I don't like this. Um, I love that. Whatever it is, there has to be open lines of communication. And and if you're just seeing them through these sort of like querying author eyes all the time, that's going to be really hard to do. Yeah. And because it's a partnership at the end of the day, like um, you are giving them, you know, your work uh, they're trying to get it out there and, you know, you're going to have to talk about some things and like, uh, this is another thing. I mean, I think this is also just a general life thing. Sometimes you're going to have to talk about uncomfortable things. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't think it helps anyone to not, uh, if they're like you were saying, if there's something going on, uh, with the publisher or with the agent or with some situation that you're involved in, sometimes you're going to have to have like difficult conversations. Um, and you need to, at the, those are the points when you need to remember it's a partnership. Um, ideally you both are helping each other and there for each other, whether that's your agent or editor, um, or whoever else you're dealing with in publishing. Um, that, you know, sometimes you are going to have to talk about difficult things. Um, but, like, I, I feel like sometimes you see people not say things about things they're unhappy with. Um, but, like, this is a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a workplace. If something, if you don't like something or if something at your workplace is detrimental to you, sometimes you have to bring it up um, yep. to whoever can change that. So um, remembering that, you know, it's a job, it's a business. And sometimes we, and like, I'm not saying you have to be mean or anything, but even, um, a lot of people can be non-confrontational when some things come up. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
and even things like uh, the other day I saw someone say something like, oh, yeah, when people give you when the publisher gives you your cover, that's it. You can't say anything about it. And like that's just like one small thing. But I think a lot of writers do think that. And like that's not true. <laughs> you can yeah. tell them, hey, why don't you try this color? Because I don't think this particular color works or like and you don't have to be like some big famous person to do that. Just say, hey, I don't think this works. Um, because you're working ideally, like I said, it's a partnership and they should be happy to get feedback from you just like you get feedback from your editor or whoever else is reading your your stories. Very true. Very good advice. Everyone, I hope you were listening. I'm going to check on all of you and make sure that you are telling your <laughs> agents how you feel. And if not, me and Alyssa are going to come over and yell at you and her mom too. And if you use yeah. the word smirk, you're in big trouble. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure she has a list. <laughs> um, Alyssa, so where can um, our listeners uh, follow you online? Um, I am on Twitter at uh, Alyssa Cole Lit, L-I-T. Uh, I am on Instagram under with the same name. Um, I'm on Facebook, but I haven't looked at my Facebook for like eight months. That's probably for the best. There's nothing good happening. <laughs> I side. feel really bad because like I got like I can see that I got a lot of birthday wishes. Like sometimes when I accidentally go and then I'm like, oh, no, I didn't respond to all these people. No, I can't really go back to Facebook ever again. Uh, <laughs> but also just Facebook is like stressful in general to me. So yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Um, my website is alyssacole.com. If you go to Instagram, you can see my uh, chickens and cats and dogs and random island things. I'm jealous <laughs> that you are on an island and I'm freezing in New York. <laughs> But you have pizza. You have pizza and bagels, though. That's true. I (laughs) legit cannot live without pizza and bagels. Um, So egg and cheese sandwiches and bagels. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I can keep.